on a journey with the patriarchs, uh, looking at the patriarchs, each one of them, and talking about who the patriarchs actually are. Um, and there's only three of them. Now, there are some who feel like that there ought to be more than just three, that there ought to be five of them, uh, because they try to include two others uh, in that list. And, of course, the only patriarchs in the Scripture are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those three. Now, they are, as I've said many times, there are critics who try to add two more, and that, of course, being Ishmael, uh, born to Abraham, and then Esau, uh, who was also born to Isaac. Uh, but we know that Ishmael and Esau do not belong in the list of the patriarchs uh, because of the promise of God himself. And uh, so tonight, we're going to pick up with Jacob. You know, a lot of folks wonder how in the world and where in the world did all of those Hebrews come from? Where in the world did all those tribes come from? Where in the world... Uh, did they all come from when they left out of Egypt and all of a sudden they're divided into these tribes and all of a sudden they make their way through the wilderness and they make their way into the land of Canaan and what happens to all these tribes? As a matter of fact, sometimes when you read the scriptures, uh, one of the things that you'll find, sometimes you'll find 12 of them listed, sometimes you will find 10 of them listed, sometimes you will find 14 of them listed. And some people say, well, I thought there was only 12. Well, there are. 12 actual tribes uh, but oftentimes what happens is the tribe of Joseph gets divided into two Ephraim and Manasseh and sometimes if you have then the whole list with the tribe of Levi and then you take the tribe of Levi and you take Joseph and you divide that into two you wind up with more when you actually count than 12 and then, of course, you go to the book of the Revelation, which we will go to tonight, and there is a list in the book of the Revelation of the tribes of Israel. It's a little bit interesting list because two of them are missing, Ephraim and Dan. Uh, both of those two tribes are missing in Revelation chapter number 7. And so the question often becomes is why are they not included in the list in Revelation chapter number 7? And uh, we find a biblical reason for that as to why they're not listed. But tonight, I want us to actually start in Genesis chapter number 47, uh, is where we will begin when things actually occur. You know, sometimes uh, when we look at God's plan, especially the plan of the ages and that panoramic shot of everything, we have to go back. Uh, did God use the land of Egypt? in setting the path and uh, setting things up for the direction that God was going to carry them, he did. Uh, matter of fact, one of the things that you learn is there came a great famine in the land of Canaan. Now, sometimes we kind of get this a little bit confused. I want you to understand that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were in the land of Canaan. Matter of fact, that was the land that God had brought Abraham to was to the land of Canaan. And so he was in the land of Canaan. They didn't possess the land of Canaan, uh, but they were sojourning in the land of Canaan. Matter of fact, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all three of them were sojourning in the land of Canaan. Matter of fact, in one point in time in the life of Jacob, Jacob took all of his family and took them back to Bethel, uh, kind of a starting place, a starting point for Jacob in his own life. So when we come to chapter 47 in the book of Genesis, one of the things that you find, the famine got so bad in the land of Canaan 
that Jacob took his family and they eventually, his sons, uh, with Joseph. Remember when they sold Joseph into slavery? His brothers did. And Joseph wound up in Egypt. And he wound up very high up in uh, position with inside of Egypt under the Pharaoh. And so as things went on, we all remember that account where the brothers uh, were sent to Egypt uh, to try to purchase some grain to bring back. And of course, the relationship between Joseph and his brothers is brought back to a point. And we come to chapter 47 and we find where now Jacob and his sons and Joseph, uh, that relationship begins to start down the path that God intended for that relationship to continue down. So when you come to verse 1 of chapter 47, you find these words, Then Joseph went in, told Pharaoh, and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan, and behold, they are in the land of Goshen. So he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? So they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. So then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many years have you lived? So Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my sojourning are 130 Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out of his presence. And when you go over to chapter 48, as we continue to kind of see as this unfolds, when you get to chapter 48, they realize that course your father is sick in verse number one as they tell Joseph your father is very ill and then of course we have uh, the blessing that is bestowed upon Pharaoh's or upon uh, Joseph's two sons and when you get down to verse 17 you find the difficulty between Ephraim and Manasseh in chapter 48 And so when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on Ephraim's head, it displeased him, and he grasped his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. And so it's interesting as you watch that unfold. And keep in mind, and, and, and sometimes folks lose sight of this. 
Ephraim and Manasseh were the result of Joseph and an Egyptian wife. Okay? And so for both of those, Joseph took an Egyptian woman as his wife. Ephraim and Manasseh were born to him. Okay? And so therefore, when he brought them to Jacob, uh, for Jacob to bestow the blessing on them, we see what happened as a result of that relationship that's there. Okay? So it continues, though. We have all of this recorded for us here in Genesis before we ever get to the book of Exodus. When you get to the book of Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, um, and Leviticus, when you go through all of those, you see everything that happened while they were there uh, in Egypt and then make their journey across the Red Sea. Once they made their journey across the Red Sea, they went into, of course, the wilderness and spent all of that time in the wilderness. And then as we saw this morning under the leadership of Joshua, they made their way into the land of promise or the land of Canaan. So they're back in the land of Canaan now for the purposes of occupying all of that land under the promise that was given to Abraham and the Abrahamic covenant, who was the first of the patriarchs. And so all of this ties together. And I think sometimes we've, we've all just kind of had all of these bits and pieces over the years, never really understanding how all of it fits together, okay? And keep in mind, this was all part of the plan of God himself. As God allowed and God orchestrated and God moved all of this through because the promise was made to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant, and I will say this to you tonight, as we move into the last days, and we looked at this in Ezekiel, when you move into the millennial kingdom, every aspect of the Abrahamic covenant will be fulfilled and brought to fruition, as well as the Davidic covenant, the covenant that God made with David and the throne of David. And so as we look at these tribes of Israel, they have played a part all the way through, especially when they get into the land of Canaan. I want you to turn with me now to 1 Samuel. And I want you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16, where Samuel now is going to be brought. Because we often wonder, we hear this all the time. Well, Jesus Christ came through the line of the tribe of Judah, which he did. Okay? And so, as we watch all of this unfold where did this actually take place well first samuel chapter 16 is where all of this unfolded as we see god's plan continuing to unfold the throne of david in the land of israel specifically in the city of jerusalem the city that god set his name on god made a covenant with david that his throne would be there and during the millennial kingdom, it would be occupied. And Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign from the throne of David in the city of Jerusalem during the time of the millennial kingdom. Well, 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse number 1, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Why did he reject Saul from being king over Israel? He was selected and chosen by man, not by God. God allowed it to happen. God allowed them. Matter of fact, he told Samuel, he said, well, you go back and you tell the people that if they get the king that they want, this is what's going to happen. And so, of course, Saul became the king. 
at the choice of the people. But David is the choice that God has uh, to begin the throne of David from this point on. And so God asked Samuel, how long are you going to grieve over Saul? So verse number one, fill your horn with oil and go and I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite. For I have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. You shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the the one whom I designate to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, Do you come in peace? And he said, In peace I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And when they entered, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Next Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all the children? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance and the Lord said arise anoint him for this is he then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward and Samuel arose and went to Ramah so we see the choosing of and the setting aside of David the setting aside of David by God himself from the tribe of Judah That is the tribe that we're dealing with here. And all of this, all of this is just taking care of the very promise that God had already made to Abraham. And it is being carried out right before our eyes. So when you read and you study prophecy, you can't just go to the book of the Revelation. You can't just go to the book of Daniel. You can't just go to the book of Ezekiel, right? You need to start all the way at the beginning. Because the plan for the last days started way before Ezekiel. It started before Daniel. It started before the prophets. It started all the way back with Abraham. It started with the Abrahamic covenant that was made to Abraham. It goes all the way back even further than that. It goes all the way back to Noah. Because the ark was a picture of safety for us. And it goes back even further than that when God created the heavens and the earth and he created man and set him in the Garden of Eden. And so that's where the journey began. And so that journey is going to come to fruition and that journey is going to come to pass just the way God has outlined and, and, and designed it. And it is going to happen just the way God intends for it to. 
And so God uses all of these tribes. Turn with me to 1 Kings now. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter number 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. And we watch as this continues to unfold. 1 Kings chapter number 12. And I want you to notice verse 16. Because David takes the throne from Saul and David begins his kingship in Hebron, not in Jerusalem. And also keep in mind that the tabernacle, the wilderness tabernacle, is located in Shiloh. That's where it is. Eli was the high priest and the wilderness tabernacle of course is located in Shiloh and so David becomes king actually in Hebron and David pleaded and asked from God when he would make his move eventually over to Jerusalem and so we know that David reigned in Hebron for eight years before going to Jerusalem to complete the years of his reign of 40 years as he will be the king over Israel. But something else happened. After David left the throne, his son Solomon took the throne. And as a result of Solomon's reign, after Solomon died, his son Rehoboam came and took the throne in his place. But under the leadership of Rehoboam, things did not go well. And so it was told... And it was said by God that the kingdom would be rent. Matter of fact, it would be torn from Rehoboam and divided and split. And so what you have in 1 Kings chapter number 12, beginning in verse 16, is a division of this kingdom. They were all combined, 12 tribes under one kingdom under the reign of David. After the split with Rehoboam and Jeroboam, now the kingdom is divided between the northern kingdom of Israel, <clears throat> excuse me, and the southern kingdom of Judah. Ten tribes went to the north, and two tribes remained in the south. Two of the tribes that remained in the south were Judah and Benjamin. And so Rehoboam remained in the south. Jeroboam went to the north. He took ten of the tribes with him. And there was continual struggle between the north and the southern kingdom. As a matter of fact, Rehoboam even tried to go back and get some of those who were in Israel, in the northern kingdom, that were part of the other tribes, and try to bring some of them back to Jerusalem. And that caused further problems along the way. But in verse 16 of 1 Kings chapter number 12, you find it recorded, when all Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion do we have in David? We have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. That's a mistake. Because all of it, Jesus Christ himself came from the line of the tribe of Judah, of which David and Jesse did. But notice the statement, now look after your own house, David. So Israel departed to their tents. But as for the sons of Israel who lived in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. 
And then King Rehoboam sent Adoram, who was over the forced labor, and all Israel stoned him to death, and King Rehoboam made haste to mount his chariot to flee to Jerusalem. So Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. And it came about when all Israel heard that Jeroboam had returned, that they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. None but the tribe of Judah followed the house of David. And now when Rehoboam had come to Jerusalem, he assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 chosen men who were warriors to fight against the house of Israel to restore the kingdom to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, saying, Speak to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to all the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, You must not go up and fight against your relatives, the sons of Israel. Return every man to his house, for this thing has come from me. So they listened to the word of the Lord and returned and went their way according to the word of the Lord, orchestrated under the hand of God himself. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that in understanding just all of those things that, that God has for us and has been orchestrated for us. Now, what I want you to do is go back to the book of Ruth and I want you to go back to chapter 4 of the book of Ruth to watch as the tribes all play a part in all of this now, they've been divided the northern kingdom of Israel the ten tribes went into captivity to Assyria and have never come out and then of course you have the southern tribes of Benjamin and Judah who went into captivity to Babylon for 70 years, came out of captivity, came back to Jerusalem. And then we know today that Israel is a nation, is a sovereign nation. In May of 1948, they became recognized as a, as a sovereign nation. But God's not finished with them yet. God has much more planned for them. The book of Ruth, chapter number 4. I want you to notice as we begin in verse 16. You see the line of David. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. The neighbor women gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. So they named him Obed. And I want you to notice this. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez was born Hezron. To Hezron was born Ram. And to Ram, Abinadab. And to Abinadab was born Nishan. And to Nishan, Salmon. And to Salmon was born Boaz. And to Boaz, Obed. And to Obed was born Jesse. And to Jesse, David all continuing in the line that God had orchestrated and that God had set forth. Well, just to give us a further substantiation of all of this, if you turn to Matthew chapter number 1, you will find, as Matthew recounts for us, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And you'll see where this just all runs, it, it all it all flows just the way God put it together. 
just the way God orchestrated every bit of it. Matthew chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You notice not only the son of David here is mentioned, but also the son of Abraham. And Abraham, and here they are listed. Here's your patriarchs. You have Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. All right? Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. So Abraham was the father, verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Notice who? Judah and his brothers. So there is the tribe of Judah. All of this just the way that God orchestrated all. And uh, something else that I want you to notice who is not in this list. You do not see Ishmael, nor do you see Esau. Neither one. The reason that you don't see Ishmael is because Ishmael is the son of the flesh. Isaac is the son of the promise. That's why he's listed here. Jacob over Esau, because that's the way that God designed and orchestrated that it would take place through Jacob and not through Esau. And so as you look at Matthew chapter 1, you find them all listed here. And as you go on down through here, verse 3, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. Remember what we read back over in Ruth chapter number 4? I know I've asked you this before, but how many of you keep up with the genealogies in Scripture? How many of you go through and read them and spend time connecting all of the dots? <laughs> how many of you still look at those things like, there's just no way, okay? But you'll notice you, as you follow them throughout the scripture how they all tie together, all right? And so as we continue, when you look at verse 4, Ram was the father of Abinadab, and Abinadab the father of Nishan, and Nishan the father of Salmon, and Salmon was the father of Boaz by Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of of David the king so you see it all listed there okay so is God finished with the tribes no he's not he's not finished with them are the tribes going to come back on the scene matter of fact one of the things that that I did while I was in Israel ask our guide if he knew what tribe he was from and he, he feels like he did, but wasn't quite sure. Because keep in mind, they have, been, they have been divided and dispersed and all over the face of the earth. And some of them don't know for sure, okay? But I can say this, okay? The day is coming when there will be a designation of tribes once again. And you say, well, how do you know that? Turn with me to Revelation chapter number 7. Now, there are those out there who say that Revelation chapter number 7 is simply symbolic. There is no literalness, a literal, literalness to it at all. 
And the reason that they say that is because of <clears throat> the captivities and the dispersions all around the world and the, and the marriages and, and all of that and all of that has gotten lost. <laughs> ah, I love listening to critics, okay? God hadn't lost them. <laughs> all right? God knows exactly, okay? Don't ever think for a moment that all is lost because we may have lost does not mean God has lost them at all. Revelation chapter 7. How many of y'all remember the 144,000? So who are they? They're witnesses. Okay. Verse 1. And I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth holding back the four winds of the earth so that no wind would blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, having the seal of the living God. And he said, and he said, or he cried out with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Now, they're sealed. One of the things that I've told you is the book of the Revelation does not run chronologically. Okay? To get a further idea of what's taking place here, if you'll turn over to Revelation chapter 14. All right? Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14, and notice verse number 1. And then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion. And with him, 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders and no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth these are the ones who have not been defiled with women for they have kept themselves chaste these are the ones who follow the lamb wherever he goes these have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the who are they? They are a forerunner of a host of Jewish people who will survive the day of the Lord and come to their Savior at the end of the 70th week. That's who they are. Let's go back to chapter 7. And look at verse number 4. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. From the tribe of Judah... 12,000 were sealed from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. Oh, there's Manasseh. Who does Manasseh belong to? Joseph. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. 
the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. And from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. You'll notice real quickly that there are two that are missing. The tribe of Dan and the tribe of Ephraim are missing in the list. So why are they missing? Why are they not there? Matter of fact, the scripture itself speaks about that as to what took place with Dan and Ephraim. And so we won't be able to get into all of that tonight, okay? Uh, but we will, um, the next time we meet together on Sunday night, we're going to look at these tribes in more detail, especially in out of Revelation chapter number 7 and chapter 14. We'll spend more time. So the question becomes this. What's so important of the tribes? What is so important the way all of this is laid out in the covenants? Matter of fact, you may wonder even sometimes if what you do is important to, to God and his work in this world. And I can tell you it is. It is. If you're faithful to trust his word and to do his will, it is important. Was it important for the 12 tribes? Was it important for what happened beginning with the patriarchs and going all the way through? It was. Is it, is it still? It still is. Because there's a lot to unfold even as of yet. So the next time you feel discouraged, the next time you feel discouraged in your serving and and what God is doing in this world that we live in. Just remember Abraham and Sarah. Just go back and remember Abraham and Sarah and remind yourself that faith and promise go together. They go together. We've been promised, but we walk by faith. And those two go together. Abraham was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees and brought into the land of Canaan. And the process began with Abraham through the Abrahamic covenant. Did Abraham see it all come to, to fruition? He didn't. Is Abraham going to see it all come to fruition? He is. Abraham is going to see it. Are we going to see it? We are one day. We're going to see it all come together just the way God had it all planned out. And the way that God promised it to us in his word. So when we feel discouraged... Just think back to the patriarchs. Think back to Abraham. Think back to Isaac. And to think back to Jacob. And I can say this to you tonight. In the affirmative, God keeps his promise. He keeps his promise. God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to us, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. Amen? So that's the tribes of Israel. And as God uses them, and God is still going to use them, because he's not finished yet with what he has ahead of us. Amen? Amen. All right. I trust you've had a good day. I trust you've had a good afternoon. And I pray and trust that this has been a blessing uh, to you tonight. Uh, as we've gone through. So go back through this. Look at these. Go back and look at the tribes and look at where all they're listed. 
and uh, just take a journey as you study them together. Amen? Let's stand together and we'll be dismissed in a word of prayer. Just remember all of those who are still battling the virus. Remember.